This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and Pete George from the Albion Analytics Twitter account. I'll be perfectly honest, let you into a peek behind the curtain. This is take two of this podcast as we recorded last night and then Albion pretty much rendered our whole pod out of date this afternoon with the wholesale changes going on at the club. So, unusually for us, we'll focus very little today around Albion on the pitch because with so much going on off it, that is where the story is. Ron Gourlay needs to be discussed as our new CEO and we have a Reading fan joining us a bit later on to give us insight into Gourlay's tenure at the Royals. But we begin the only place we can with the departure of Valerian Ishmael. Pete, I tweeted on Saturday that his position was untenable. What I meant by that was the fact that uh, I felt he'd passed a point of no return with the supporters and the players seemed to have entirely given up. The white flag definitely seemed to be waved in the latter stages at Millwall. Do you agree with the decision? Was it inevitable, if regretful? Yeah, I think it probably was inevitable because they just lost that like, lost that support from the fans. And I mean, the the fans are already pressuring the board through the the attendances are a lot lower than they had been, and well, just a lack of support for the players on the pitch because fans were were fed up, I guess. And when those players are missing that support, then it kind of, well the performances start to drop. And I'm not just putting the performances on that lack of support from the fans, but it definitely plays a part in it. They miss that extra, I mean, the, the football cliche of the 12th man. They're missing that 12th man behind them to really push them that little bit more energy, a little bit more fight, a little bit more focus that we kind of saw a lack, lack of focus against Millwall, especially for that second goal. And because of that, it probably probably was inevitable. I liked Val, I liked what he was trying to do, but ultimately fans got fed up with the with style and, and let the... Uh, they let the decision makers know that they're fed up and that kind of forced forced their hands, I think. I mean, talk about the fans there and you talk about them getting fed up with the style. The, there's, an, there's a school of thought to say that it never even it never even got to the point where they weren't fed up with the style, certainly a portion of the supporters. Was it an appointment that was doomed from the start? And I'm not criticising the fans here because 
West Bromwich Albion fans, we know this. We know this about them. They like a certain style of football. They like to be entertained. I always uh, I go back to Tony Pulis before the disastrous last season where we ended up firing him, then Pardew, then more. It was 10th, 13th, 14th in terms of finishes. And yet he still had not won over the vast majority of fans. And some of the football was dire. I don't disagree with that. But if, as at some clubs, you say that all that matters are results. All that matters is whether we're winning games on the pitch, winning enough games, finishing well enough in the Premier League table, constantly picking up all that TV revenue. That would be enough at some clubs. Yet Pulis gets very little support from the supporters because of the style of play, because they're not enjoying it. And then Tony Mowbray, when we finished 20th in the division, people are begging him not to go to Celtic. So at some clubs, that would seem paradoxical. It would seem very, very strange, but not at the Albion. And that, for me, stems from a lack of understanding of our football club, from the decision makers at the point at which they brought Val in. Because I always thought that when we were bringing in a, a manager who played a certain style of football that was not akin to a West Bromwich Albion style of football, that he was always going to have an uphill task. And any at any point where the results stopped, I thought, yeah, he's he's going to struggle here. Was it a naive appointment, I think, in, in is the shortest possible way of asking the question that I'm I'm alluding to. Yeah, I think maybe it was. I mean I think everyone every football fan wants to be entertained and they want to see that traditional attractive style of football you know passing the ball around quick movements one twos rather than the the more direct style of play that we've been playing but at the same time I think fans like to see high energy and pressing because I think that that gets you off your seats when you you see a team pressing high and winning the ball high showing some energy and aggression in the game which I think Val did bring but it never seemed to to be too obvious I think possibly in the way that we did it we didn't just really suffocate small areas of the pitch and have five men pressing one man so it wasn't as obvious that it was such an aggressive press but yeah talking about the decision makers I think fans would obviously want that more like I say traditionally attractive style of football but instead they went with the the well not the complete opposite but a very different style and we're hoping to to kind of implement that long term I guess but um, I mean we talk about it a lot but they didn't have the structure director of football sporting director whatever whatever you want, higher up to kind of implement that long term as all all reliant on Val. We are back to square one again, aren't we here? I mean, I'm I'm not bemoaning the decision today because I think in the end, I think it was the right one. I, like you, wanted to give Val time. I wanted to see him succeed. I personally wasn't hating the style of football up until the last few games. I've, I've hated the last few games. It's been awful. It's been terrible to watch. There's n- there's no getting away from that. But other than first 20 minutes against Millwall the, the, and the Preston game was absolutely diabolical. It was it, it, it was one of the worst performances that I've seen from an Albion team in, in an extremely long time. So, I mean, no defence of those two performances whatsoever. But I just found it frustrating that the ball wasn't going in the back of the net when we when we were taking our chances. So I wanted to give him as much time as I possibly can. But even I felt like after the Millwall game that time had completely and utterly ran out on the bloke and that there was no turning this around with the supporters. But when I say we're back to square one again, seven of the starting 11 against Millwall were Slaven Bilic purchases two were Tony Pulis purchases and three 
were Valerian Ishmael purchases. So we've got seven of our starting 11 who are now three managers back. And we've got a mishmash squad of three managers with extremely different styles. Pulis, Bilic, Ishmael. There is little cohesion here. I mean, what we what we need, and I know we'll come on to Ron Gourlay in a bit more depth um, in the second half of this, because I liked a lot of what he said today, and it does sound like he's trying to implement a strategic plan. But there needs to be a strategic recruitment plan. And we also need, A, need to hire a manager long-term. And the rumours are that we won't. Rumours are it will be Steve Bruce on an 18-month contract. Or we need to identify what type of manager we want to hire. And then even if the manager changes, the style doesn't too much and the squad doesn't need that much overhauling. Because at, at the moment, and tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, Pete, it's a patchwork quilt of a squad. Yeah, exactly. And it wouldn't matter as much if the managers that we've had that have put together this squad in the past were similar, at least. But, I mean, we've gone from Pulis to... Well, we have more in between, of course, but Pulis to Bilic and then to, to Ishmael. It's just, I mean, complete opposite contrasting styles of football. So, obviously, the players yeah. you buy... And it, by the way, it's worth... Sorry, Pete, just to jump in there. It's worth saying that, that, that more, although quite an attractive style of football, was completely different to the way that, that, that Bilic played. I mean, Moore was, you know, num- uh, number 10s, a lot of the fo- uh, football in the, in, the, in the middle of the park, whereas Bilic made the, uh, the pitch bigger and it was all about pace. So, I mean, again, they, you know, I'm, I, I, I forgot to mention Darren Moore, but it's a fourth manager who's a very different style of play. Yeah, and exactly. Just all these contrasting styles. You've got to sign different players to suit these different styles. And then you're kind of expecting them to, to, to be able to play under this new manager, under this new system, and it's all just run smoothly, which is, I mean, it's never going to happen, really. That's why you need someone higher up to kind of implement the strategy long-term, make sure the managers that you're appointing are of a similar style. They don't have to be exactly the same, obviously, but, but similar, at least. And then the recruitment set on a, a style of play that's going to recruit the, the players that, if a manager does start to perform poorly or loses the fans, like... Ishmael has, then a new manager can, can kind of come in, take over pretty smoothly and work with the players that he's got and have to, have to overhaul the whole squad. Because, I mean, we just signed Daryl DK for, what, seven million? And I imagine pretty good wages as well. I mean, he was signed for Ishmael. That was obviously Ishmael's man. He was desperate for him from the start. He loves him at Barnsley. And, well, now we've got him and we don't have the manager that wanted him anymore. What's to say that Steve Bruce doesn't come in and say, Actually, that's not my, my centre forward. I want someone different. Get rid of him and sign someone else. Obviously, no one's going to take him for, for seven million if we're desperate to sell him as well. So it's just an expensive, just more and more costs building up. That just it's money wasted, really. I just feel like they haven't bought they haven't bought any players that, that the recruitment department have come up with for a while. I just feel like they've pandered to the managers. And that's really, really dangerous because you you said I mean you said something in the first pod that we did around when we were discussing Dan Ashworth and Dan Ashworth's strategy. And, and, and you basically said the way that it should work is the manager should lift out. The manager should lift in when you, when you want to r- remove a manager. And the fact is when you're buying players for a manager, not for a club, not for a strategy, then that is not possible. And I feel like that's what we've done. And 
if, if I, I worry about our recruitment department, maybe they are capable. Maybe they are capable of identifying these uh, these players that, that that are right for the club in in the longer term. But I feel like at the moment, all the recruitment t- uh, team have pretty much done through the last few managers is brought in the blokes that they've that they've asked for. And as silly as it sounds, because it, that, to some people that would sound like a logical way to run a football club, give the manager what he wants, but not in the modern day where a manager does not stay at a club for 10, 15, 20 years, 18 months realistically is the lifespan of a championship football manager. And if you are going to be changing your manager every 18 months, okay, that kind of is modern football, but you cannot be changing 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 players in a squad because that is when it gets really expensive, which is why recruitment departments have to be stronger and buy players for the club and not for the manager. Yeah, but then in fairness to the recruitment department, I don't really know what they'd be working on because you've not got someone higher up saying this is what we're trying to look for long term. So they're kind of just buying for the managers, aren't they? That's what the manager wants and there's no one higher up saying, well, actually, what we need long-term is this kind of player, so we'll be looking for someone like this. We need someone in the role that um, Luke Dowling was filling, but hopefully someone with a bit more likeable and um, someone that's really going to push for that style that they want to implement long-term. Absolutely. I mean, look, in in the end, we, we, need, to, we need to go back I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but we need to go back to the Dan Ashworth model. We need to go back to having a clear DNA running through the club. We need to know what our club stands for. We need to know what our style of play is. That that goes through the manager, that goes through the academy teams, that goes through the under-21s. And we need to have a core group of staff that are consistent and are at the club for a long period of time. And another thing that Luke Dowling got extremely wrong and was turning over the youth team and letting so many young players go. And I know some people will say, well, they got cherry-picked by Villa. There's nothing we can do about it. Come on. You, you, you are not telling me that if Mark Harrison had still been at West Bromwich Albion and not at Aston Villa that a lot of our youth players wouldn't still be at West Bromwich Albion and not Aston Villa. It, it was it was short-termism, it was naive, and it is something that is going to cost us. It's also going to cost us a lot of money in players because we, when you look at some of those guys that have gone into Villa, they are guys, particularly if we stay in the championship for a sustained period of time, which is not out of the realms of possibility at this moment. They are guys that would have been playing for us. They would have been guys who who would have been getting minutes for us. And instead, we are going to have to pay money to buy players. We're going to have to pay agents fees, signing on fees, and we're going to have to pay higher wages than we would to an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old coming through our youth team. The bottom line is there has been a lot of short-termism at our football club. And I welcome the the, uh, the statement from, from Ron Gourlay earlier today. I do hope he follows through on all of it. And it's not just hollow words because it needs to happen. We need a long-term plan for this football club. We need to stop this short-term thinking because that is what is killing us. And it's not just the manager situation. It's not just the first team players. It's the youth team. It's the academy. It's the recruitment team. It's all of that football structure that needs a long-term plan for where it is going to be going and it needs to be supported. Yeah, exactly. And, well, hopefully Ron Gourlay is a, a step in the right direction. As a 
CEO. You probably still need a sporting director or director of football, whatever, underneath him to kind of focus on solely on the football side of the club. I imagine as the CEO, he's going to have kind of a broader range of um, roles, if you like. So he mentioned that he wants to get the fans back on board and have a dialogue with them and kind of keep them happy. So there's that. And then there's obviously the, the commercial side of the club more. So I think we probably still do need some appointments. And he did mention getting some more football and business experience on the board. So that'll be useful. But yeah, it kind of everyone needs to buy in um, at that level. And then it needs to filter down through the manager, through the coaches, through the analysts, through through everyone all the way down to the players. And then hopefully the fans buy into to whatever style or direction we really push the club to, to go in. His first job, obviously, is going to be to hire the new manager. Unless something dramatic happens, we seem pretty sure it's going to be Steve Bruce. The word this evening is that it will be Steve Bruce on an 18-month contract. There's a fairly good chance that by the time this podcast goes out that Steve Bruce will be announced as the manager because we're recording this on uh, on Wednesday night. And uh, certainly if Rob Dorsett of Sky Sports is to be believed, then that there is likely to be an announcement tomorrow. And John Percy has said very similar this evening as well. So what do we think of Steve Bruce as an appointment? I've seen that it has certainly split some of the fans. I think whenever you take one of those managers that seems to bounce around a lot of these top-end championship to bottom-end Premier League jobs, and those are your... Pardews, Pulises, Warnocks, people like that, the, the, and Bruce, of course, there is always going to be some some negativity towards it. And I understand that. I also understand that it's a bloke in his 60s and it's not a terribly progressive appointment. It's not a particularly exciting one either. And his style of play is not renowned for being stunning on the eye. And I, d- I don't think we can necessarily expect um, to suddenly see the days of Ozzy Ardiles returning to the Hawthorns anytime soon. But looking at his recent jobs, putting aside the debacle of the start of the season at Newcastle that he had this year, he finished 12th and 13th in them in the Premier League with Newcastle without he spent some money. There's no de- denying that. You, you Joel Linton's and your Callum Wilson's coming in there were, were were big, big signings. But comparative to the Premier League, they didn't spend fortunes. Mike Ashley is known for not doing that. He had a brief spell at Sheffield Wednesday, which is often forgotten about because, well, he, he didn't stay there very long, um, a, a full 18 matches. But he won seven, only only lost three and propelled them away from what looked like a doomed situation when he went in there. And then... Aston Villa didn't go didn't go particularly well, but he still got still got to a, got to the playoffs with uh, with with the Villa, and then there was two promotions in an FA Cup final uh, with Hull City. Granted, a relegation thrown in there for good measure. And if you really want to go back a little bit, you've got a successful period at Wigan, two promotions at Birmingham City, and a far less successful period at Sunderland. And we'll ignore his formative years as a manager because one they're probably not particularly relevant to a bloke in his 60s and two he he had more jobs than I had hot dinners during that period so there's probably no point in talking about it but Pete I've just rattled off a potted CV of Steve Bruce but what do you think of it as a as an appointment if indeed it comes to fruition I think as you say those sort of old English managers 
kind of a reputation that they're just an exciting appointments and just I mean a lot of the time kind of seen as an inspiring and, and not great I don't think it's going to be particularly exciting football um, I can probably see results picking up a bit just because the change in manager is going to going to change the atmosphere around the club I imagine the fans will be coming back and we'll get in the kind of regular attendances at the Hawthorns you know the 23 24,000 and they're going to be supporting him because they're just going to be happy that Ishmael's gone so I think that'll definitely help the players and we could see see a bit of a bounce like you say he's got four promotions on his record which is always promising I think he'll be steady I think he's in a way it's kind of good that he's not a not going to be a real really exciting manager of free-flowing football because we've gone from Ishmael who's obviously got his direct style so it's kind of well hopefully if we are looking to be a bit more traditionally attractive, as I keep calling it, more passing on the floor, um, possession-based kind of football, then maybe that Steve Bruce for 18 months is kind of the link between where we're heading under Ishmael to, to where we want to be. So we have 18 months of Bruce and then he kind of gradually moves a few players in and out to kind of go towards that, that better style and then we appoint a, a more possession-based manager in 18 months' time. I mean, I kind of, I was kind of hoping it was only six months, but yeah, as was I. So it kind of, I mean, next season's probably up. Well, we've got the. It all comes down to parachute payments when you come down from the Premier League, obviously, because you're just so much better financially equipped against the rest of the league. So we've got next season where they're still relatively high, and then I think there's quite a big drop off in the third season, and then you're down to nothing after that. So we've kind of we've got next season as the assuming we don't get promoted this season. Next season's the the real big chance to kind of really get that promotion that we need. And that's that's a gamble. I mean, we've seen Bournemouth pretty much bet the farm on getting promoted in this window, haven't, haven't they? I mean, five players in, there's a lot of pretty big name players in there. I think four of the five were from the Premier League. I think only Suriki Dembele wasn't. So you you can go that way, but it is a massive gamble because you've got to say, if, if Bournemouth don't get over the line, they're going to be in all sorts of financial fair play bother the, uh, next season because they're going, they're going to be trying to shift players out left, right and centre. And that that's and that's the issue. What what I would say, Pete, is whatever direction we take on, on it during, assuming it is 18 months of Steve Bruce, whatever direction we take on it, whether it is to really go for it next year and try to get back in before, as you say, we're into that massive drop-off of the last year of parachute payments, or whether it's to take a more considered approach in the second year, recognise the fact that we still have got two and two and a half million a year going out for Carl and Grant for God only knows how long. I think it was, a, it, was it five, six years of payments, six, I think it was six, six payments, years, including, yeah, including the initial one. So, you know, you've, you've got what, four more years of paying for Carl and Grant there. I don't quite know how the Grady Dean Garner money is structured, but I would happily wager with anyone that, that most of that money was not up front and that, uh, and that we will still be paying for Grady probably over the length of his contract as well. And therefore we take a bit more of a considered approach from uh, from next season but whatever we do the big thing for me is that we treat Steve Bruce like what he is which is a short-term appointment and we build a squad for the next manager and as you say almost treat it as a bridging appointment to bridge ourselves away from Valball and into whatever it is that we see as our DNA of the football club hopefully for the next 10-15 years and onwards. 
Yeah, and hopefully we get someone in that can recognise what that DNA is going to be and can yeah structure that for for the appointment after Bruce. We're kind of talking as if it's it's guaranteed, but I mean with the how the clubs run at the minute, it's definitely far from guaranteed. And it's kind of a bit worrying because it seems like Lai is, I mean, really listening to the supporters and like that's his only, almost like he's kind of letting them run the club and not thinking for himself, which, I mean, supporters obviously have their opinions as me and you were supporters and we've got our opinions, which is great, but you really need the experience and the football brains at the top of the club to, to make the decisions. I think there's a lot of talk about us. A lot of people are saying that we need to, to have a, a change up there. And I mean, then Ron Gourlay comes in. It's everyone wanted um, Ishmael gone and he's gone. It's kind of kind of as if the supporters are having a big impact in how it's run, which probably isn't a, a great model for a football club. No, although if, if you'd listen to the supporters in the summer over Chris Wilder, we might be in a bit of a better situation. Well, that is true. but And that probably would have um, suited the squad a bit better as well. I mean, we've still got the the Billich players, which are, I mean, obviously it's not the same style as Wilder, but Wilder also likes to use width in his build-up and he likes to play it on the floor. And we would have probably needed a couple of centre-backs if he's still going for his attacking centre-backs. But, I mean, the overall structure of the squad was probably, at that point, more suited to Wilder than it was to, to Valerian Ishmael. The other big announcement besides the departure of Valerian Ishmael today was the appointment of Ron Gourlay as chief executive of the club and Zuki Ken taking a backward step. I believe he's still involved in the club in some capacity. I'm not entirely clear on on how, but uh, I, he is no longer in quite the decision-making capacity that he was before. Now, when Ron Gourlay was appointed, I did put a tweet out saying that I was pleased. I have to say, for clarification, I didn't know particularly much about Ron Gourlay, so my delight was far less about Ron Gourlay coming in because nothing against him, but I'm not going to be delighted about somebody that I don't know an awful lot about, but I was pleased to see the back of Ken because I just don't think somebody who knows as little about football and West Bromwich Albion and West Bromwich Albion fans should be in the position of power within our football club that he was. Nonetheless, my tweet prompted a lot of very polite but insistent replies from Reading fans who said, be very, very careful how pleased you are, how much stock you put in this guy that he did not do good things for our football club. So I wanted to find out more. So we got in touch with with one of the Reading fans, Jacob Hawley, and he spoke to me earlier and gave me his thoughts on Ron Gourlay's time at the Royals. So now I'm joined by Jacob Hawley, who's a Reading FC fan. And when the announcement was made around Ron Gourlay being the new West Bromwich Albion chief executive, I uh, quote retweeted it um, and said that I was pleased about the announcement. But straight away, there was an awful lot of Reading fans saying to me, you know, temper that enthusiasm. It was not a good appointment for us. It did not go well. So rather than have to do a load of digging around the internet to look at a load of old articles about Ron Gourlay's time at uh, Reading, I thought the most pertinent thing to do was to get a Reading fan on to give us that perspective. So, Jacob, thank you very much for joining us. Tell us, you know, why, from your point of view, we maybe shouldn't be too excited about, about this guy coming in. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it's, it's a bit of a tricky one. So obviously, Gourlay joined us uh, straight after the season where we finished third in the championship and we missed out on the, uh, the Premier League by playoffs, uh, penalties it was in the end. So the club was in a good place at the time. And just, we had Yapsam in charge. Uh, we brought in Gourlay. He's got past experience with Chelsea. We know he'd done a great job there. So there were no questions asked, really, uh, when he was appointed at the club. But when he arrived, he said he loved those big European nights and he said he could see those as a possibility for Reading in the future. So it was exciting times, really. Everyone was was looking forward to to what we could do the next season. But we ended up finishing uh, 20th, avoiding relegation by three points. Um, so it, was a, it wasn't a a great look. Um, obviously, Ron Gourlay just joined in the club and, and we have a really poor start under his reign. But he oversaw the signings of Sam Baldock and Mark McNulty both of whom have since spoken negatively about the, the manner in which the club is run. Uh, McNulty in particular uh, recently, who's still actually on the Reading books, but he said, you know, as soon as he arrived, you could see it wasn't working. Lots of lots of other sort of insiders, such as Sir John Medeski himself, have said that Gourlay didn't get the culture of the club. You know, some people will argue that we're are kind of stuck in our ways, maybe, and we didn't want someone to come in and, you know, an overhaul. We didn't want that. We, that's not what we were looking for. We were just looking to replace replaced the last man but but Brian Teverlin our tech, technical director ended up actually leaving the club uh, due to his relationship with Ron Gourlay he just he couldn't make it work he said that um, last year he said that he can't stand it when people are there for 20 odd years who've done an awful lot for the club were loyal to the club and then one person came in and threw it all away now make of that what you will it's hard to know exactly what he's getting out there but he he felt the need to move on because he couldn't live in that environment a number of other senior staff members have also said that Wale would just walk past them without acknowledging them. But I mean, again, that's that's not exactly the end of the world. It's not. It's not. It's just. It's just. It felt that he maybe didn't understand the club. That's not to say he's not a, a football man and he doesn't know what he's doing. Far more so than the previous CEO at West Brom. But yeah, questions will certainly be asked, and time will tell, I suppose. And the other thing that I seem to have seen banded around um, was that because obviously Reading are in. A difficult situation at the at the moment um and there seems to be a, a school of thought that there was a lot of money poorly spent on on Gourlay's watch I've, I've seen talk of uh, talk of big contracts I know obviously you brought in players that were made quite a big splash uh, in terms of when they were purchased and cost quite a lot of money do, do you feel that the club spent money wisely while Gourlay was was in charge there Personally, no. I mean, I mentioned Sam, Sam Baldock, uh, £2 million, Mark McNulty, £1 million, neither of whom set the world alight at Reading and have since moved on for absolutely nothing. So it's, it's sort of short-term thinking, um, you know, no no real long-term plan. And that's the worry, I suppose, for, for West Brom fans because they really want to, to you know, get some structure within the club. Yeah, and what's interesting though there that you know you say about short-term planning, the one thing that he has spoke about quite a lot is a long-term plan in his initial statement as as West Brom CEO. So I suppose there is hope in the sense that perhaps he's learned from the mistakes he made at Reading. That's obviously not going to be any comfort to Reading fans who who are left with the with what he has left behind. However, hopefully for West Bromwich Albion fans that that he has learned from the things that he did. I suppose the other thing, just going back to what you said at the start, that might be a little bit of a different situation is that, as you say, Reading were in a good place as a football club when he came in. You 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 just got to the playoff final and maybe there was an element of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And he did try to fix what wasn't broken at, at Reading, whereas quite different to that, I think most Albion fans would say 
it is broke. In fact, there's not even anything to break because there's not a structure there at the moment. We haven't got a sporting and technical director. We simply haven't got any football people in the hierarchy. In fact, we are so old school at the moment that pretty much Valerian Ishmael was running the football side of the club from from top to bottom. So would it be fair to say that that whilst obviously he didn't do the job you wanted him to do at Reading, it could be a little bit like comparing apples to oranges in terms of the in terms of the situation that he comes into because maybe he shouldn't have meddled with things that he did meddle with uh, at Reading but maybe what we need is somebody to go around with a bit of a sledgehammer at the baggies yeah I definitely agree with that I mean it's two completely different clubs in very different places Reading came off that season you know looking forward and hoping to get automatic promotion next season and you could argue that nothing needed to be changed everything was going right and we just missed out just, you know, even penalties in the playoff final, we were that close. I think Ron Gourlay, some people have suggested that maybe having worked at Chelsea, he felt that he could come in at Reading and implement that same sort of, you know, big spending. And, and But it, it wasn't going to work. It just doesn't work at championship clubs. Um, but like you say, uh, you certainly learn from your mistakes. He'll know what went wrong at Reading. He'll be aware of that. He's, um, you know, he, he'll know not to, not to go there again. Um, and hopefully that's for West Brom, there's a chance that he'll he'll come in, you know, far more knowledgeable than he has been before about this division, uh, knowing what he can and can't spend. And, you know, like you say, he's a man who knows his football uh, far more so than the previous CEO. And I, it can't be much worse, can it? <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it's a good appointment looking at his time at Chelsea. And if he has learned from his time at Reading, then, you know, there's certainly a good chance that he could be the man to to help take West Brom back to the Premier League. So that's the thoughts there of Jacob Hawley, uh, a Reading FC fan. Pete, what did you think of that interview? Yeah, I thought it was very interesting to get a point of view from a Reading fan, obviously, who's had um, the experience of Gourlay at their club. Um, like you say, there was quite a lot of negativity from Reading fans on social media, but um, I think we got a bit more of a, maybe a balanced view on how it might impact our club. Because, I mean, of course, every club's different to each other the situations are completely different and I mean for example we've probably got more money to spend and still be financially stable at the minute than Reading did when Gourlay came in um, and I think most importantly is that we've got someone who's got experience in football he spent um, years at, at the top of the game really with Chelsea and I think he was at Manchester United before that so yeah lots of experience which is what we've been lacking for the past the past six months um so hopefully he can make some some strong appointments um below him in the um sporting director roles and well hopefully in the in the managerial roles as well starting with potentially steve bruce coming very soon i thought what was telling with what jacob said was that he referenced the fact that when gourlay came in he talked immediately about bringing the european knights back to reading and i thought that was an extremely ambitious statement do you think Ron Gourlay probably didn't realize the limitations of a championship club because as you say he'd had elite jobs up until uh, up until that point he'd been in at, at some extremely big clubs and that potentially he went into to Reading thinking if I throw a few quid around if uh, if I try and really shoot for the stars here then I could achieve something quite special, probably in no disrespect to Reading, but in terms of their history, probably something that will go down in the annals as one of the great Reading sides, one of the great Reading achievements. There's an opportunity here to to make history 
in terms of uh, of this football club. And he was perhaps a little unrealistic about the expectations and actually didn't realise what he already had because that was a club that had just lost a playoff final. So they, they, they're, I mean, and lost a playoff final on penalties as well, by the way. They're a kick of a football away from the Premier League. You really don't need to fix that much in that situation. And probably he... By trying to fix things that weren't broken, he broke things. In reality, when you look at us, we are a bit broken. He recognises, I agreed with pretty much everything he said in his statement. I felt it was very self-effacing and I thought he actually acknowledged the herd of elephants that have been in the room for about the last 18 months at our football club. And finally, somebody within the building actually says all of these things. And I thought it was it was brilliant. And I don't know, maybe I'm being a hopeless optimist here, Pete, but I kind of feel like we're going to get a different Ron Gourlay to Reading got. And I kind of feel like he is coming into a completely different situation to the one that he went into at Reading, where he didn't need to go barreling about changing things because they were so, so close. We're not. He needs to do some serious overhauling of this football club. And I'm happy for him to roll his sleeves up and really get to work. Yeah. And he spoke of um, kind of improving that relationship and connection with the fans, which as we've seen in the last couple of months is so important. And it really relates down to the performances on the pitch, because I think fans really do have a big impact on, on the players' play. And he spoke of getting more football uh, experience on the board. So the people that are making the decisions at the top of the club have got actual experience in the game and aren't just coming in as businessmen that have worked in different businesses because it's completely, it's, it's nothing like any other business. Football's its own, its own business and you need experience in that. And hopefully he's not just talking the talk because... As you say, his his initial statement at Reading was a very, maybe not promising, but very exciting statement to Reading fans that they're going to get these European nights back. It was bullish, wasn't it? Yeah, that's probably a good way to describe it. But I mean, he's he's given his statement at Albion and it's not quite the same, but it's exciting for us that maybe he is going to turn the club around and bring us what we need. So hopefully he can follow up on what he said and, and really do that. As long as he doesn't overspend and mm. kind of put the club into trouble in the long term. But do you think Lai would even let him do that? Lai seems to have had a fairly decent handle. He may not have had a, a great handle on a lot of things going on at our football club, but I feel like he's had a fairly solid handle on the finances all the way along. I don't know how Reading worked their finances, but I would be surprised if, if Ron Gourlay had in any way, shape or form a blank checkbook to go and start throwing around the club's money, which ultimately, let's be honest, is Gouch on Lai's money because he's accountable for it. Yeah, and I don't think he will either. I think I kind of, kind of wants to run the sustainable club model, avoid investing his money as much as he can, and just let the club spend what they make and take the money out of the club either. So it just keeps rolling itself over. Um so, in that respect, he shouldn't be able to go out and spend willy-nilly and kind of ruin the, the club financially. He's, he's a Dutch centre-forward, isn't he, willy-nilly? Because <laughs> uh, I was looking at um, Reading as well, and uh, I mean, even after he left, they were still spending a lot of money. I was reading an article saying, I think it was the season after they left, they were spent about 16 million about 60 million net spend in the transfer windows which is I mean that's a lot of money for a championship club that hasn't hasn't got parachute payments coming in and then they got I think their um, wages to turnover was about 230% or something so well, even, every... even now as well Pete I mean they seem they seem to be going 
towards Premier League footballers to try and get them out of this particular spot that they're in, even even with the, the sanctions and everything that's coming. I know Andy Carroll was supposed to be on very, very low wages there, but I'd be surprised if Danny Drinkwater was. And I, uh, I didn't actually see whether they got him in the end, but uh, they, they were heavily linked with Luka Milivojevic at the, at the end of the window as well. I mean... I, I, I know Carroll came cheap because Carroll was on a free and nobody wanted to touch him because of his injury record. But I find it hard to believe that some of these other uh, some of these other players that have that have gone in there. Obviously, Scott Dan went in there as well, didn't he? And and, and people like that. They might not be spending in quite the same way on um, transfer fees anymore. But it seems like they are on wages. Maybe maybe again, I might be defending. Uh, and Reading fans might be if 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 indeed they are listening to a West Bromwich Albion podcast they might be hating this uh, but I might be being very naive here and not simply not knowing enough about Reading Football Club and defending the indefensible but it does from the outside looking in it looks a little bit like given that all of this has continued a bit after Gourlay has left that maybe the loose purse strings weren't completely coming from him. No, you've got, the owner's got to sanction the, the payments to if you're going to sign expensive players or pay high wages. Then I mean, it's got to come from the owner. Obviously, below him can decide what players they want, but if the owner says no, we're not spending that money, then well, the club's not going to spend that money. I think that's where it could potentially be different under Lai because I can't see him sanctioning any signings that we can't afford that are going to really put us in a bad way financially for the future and that Lai's going to have to make up the losses from his own money. Because, I mean, as far as I'm aware, and I think as every other fan's aware, he wants to get us back to the Premier League and wants to cash in on his investment and try and make as much money back as he can from it. I don't, I mean, I suppose that's where the, the other risk comes from, is that if we do end up staying in the Championship for another season, could Lai see it as his last chance in a while to get back up to the Premier League and really, really then spend some of his own money to, to push us back up to the Premier League. I mean... Um, I, I can't believe you're talking about Gouch on Lye as a speculate <laughs> to accumulate type bloke, mate. Uh, that flies in the face of everything I know about this fella. Yeah, but I mean, we'll see when it when it comes down to it because that could be his last chance at getting his money back. If, if we do miss out on promotion this year and we don't get it next year, then that, that third season, well... After that, we kind of drift into the championship and could become a club that stays there for five, ten years, maybe even longer. And then at that point, you've got no chance of making back. I can't remember how much it was he spent on the club, but yeah, it needs to be a Premier League club to make that money back. Absolutely. And just one more thing that I wanted to highlight before we finished. I'm just I'm just going to read a little bit of the statement. You you did allude to it earlier, but I just want I just want to read it verbatim from Ron Gourlay. At boardroom level, I intend to appoint directors with a wealth of football and business experience who will have the knowledge and commitment required to take the club forward. In my conversations with Gao Chun Lai during his recent visit, we agreed the club needs to make significant changes in order to succeed. Some of these changes will take time to implement, but they will all be in the best interests of the club. Now, I'm reading a little bit between the lines there, Pete, but to me... That doesn't just sound like I'm bringing in one person, a director of football. That sounds to me like I'm going to try and implement a wider structure, a wider football structure within the club. Now, we have we have had a 
throughout the Gauchon Lai regime, we have had a, 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 direct, a, a sporting and technical director, Luke Dowling, for the most part. But we haven't really looked at the wider structure of the football club. As I say, I, I, I personally believe that Luke Dowling's entire tenure as sporting and technical director was built on short-term decisions. Granted, some of them got us into the Premier League in the short term, but I do honestly think that the decisions that ended in people like Morgan Rogers and Louis Barry and people like that leaving the football club, I think we will pay for big style in the in the long run. And I don't think in in the fullness of time will look like good decisions. I really, really don't. But that is that is the first time I've ever heard anyone since Gauchon Lai came in as owner, talk about a proper structure and a really, a really full structuring of this uh, of this football club, rather than short term fixes here and there. And again, it is only words. It's not. It's not a plan. I've not seen a plan that blows me away. So th- it, th- there is a massive jump from saying I need to do this, I need to build a structure, to actually knowing what a successful structure looks like and being able to both create it and then implement it but nonetheless it feels like a start Pete yeah I mean it's it's promising it's very promising and the fact is that he's had time he spent time at Chelsea and Manchester United so you'd think that he knows what a a successful um, football structure looks like and what he needs to put in place obviously I think his time at Manchester United was in the Sir Alex Ferguson era so that was probably a bit different to how modern football is kind of running the structure of a club. I think Ferguson would have had a massive say on basically everything that went on in the club. But nonetheless, he's got that football experience. And I mean, fingers crossed he can he can follow through with what he said and bring that into the club. I think the other thing that he did mention was um, short-term and long-term vision and for the both of them to be in the Premier League, which, I mean, it's, it's what every Albion fan wants, really. And it's what we need as well. Because like I said earlier, if we don't get back into the Premier League in the next two and a half seasons and we could find ourselves drifting into the championship pack. On that note, which is a mix of positivity and realism, I think is the best uh, the best way to describe that. I really thought we were going to end on a really positive note there and then you you just pulled me back to reality right at the end there. Damn you. <laughs> but to be honest, after after the two after the two games that we've had in the last week having any positivity is a minor miracle in itself so I'll give you credit for that mate but that is all the time we've got for this week we will be back for the start of a new era at the Baggies I really look forward to Pete giving us the analytical lowdown on how different the playing style is post Valerian Ishmael or maybe it won't be who knows Let's hope it is a little bit because that will certainly appease the fans. Let's hope it's a bit more adventurous and we see a few more goals in the right end, obviously, from our point of view. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, share, give us a positive review. We are a new podcast and we are going to rely on the Albion community to spread the word about us. So if you like this, please, please do share us on your socials. But until next time, thank you very much for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? 
Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.